Well, I don't know. Yeah, I got it on. I didn't know if I had the mic on or not. Somebody said the light's supposed to be green. Somebody, and then I looked, and it's red. And so I don't know if I. Uh, anyway, I got a big enough mouth that if it don't work, I'll promise you, you'll hear me before it's done. Okay? You may not want to hear what I got to say, but you'll hear me. All right? All right. Uh, I I got to tell you, uh, y'all nearly didn't keep me here. Between the song selection and that that group of young ladies right behind me, I'd like to have a running fit. I like to let, I just nearly left from here for just a minute now. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. I'm telling you. Thank you, brother. That's, that's, that's good stuff. I enjoy good worship. Don't y'all? Don't y'all? It makes a difference in the service, don't it? Gets you ready to meet with the king, don't it? I love that. And I, and I appreciate people who are talented and use that talent for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could. I wish I could play something. John poked his bass out at me when he got up there and asked me if I and I told him, I said, y'all don't want to hear the mess that I would make on that thing. Uh, I, I, I do good to occasionally play the radio. Other than that, I'm in trouble, you know. But, uh, but I am excited to be with you folks. Let me mention the Youth Evangelism Conference tonight. Uh, we've got the same band that came last year, the Ryan John Band. It's a group of youth ministers from across the state that come together and uh, play at different events, and so they'll be there. And so, some of you who were there last year can remember them, I think. And they did a good job. And then we got Brother T. W. Norman. He he's uh, he's a pastor up in Illinois. I'll get it out in just a second. And uh, he came and spoke at our Wild Game Supper. For any of you who might have made it to the Wild Game Supper, uh, he uh, he played Division One football for Illinois, and uh, he. Um, Traveled with Team Extreme, the doing the feats of strength. Uh, he been a, I watched him bend a wrought iron bar in his mouth, and he tore a phone book and had different things like that. You know, just minimal stuff like that. But uh, uh, but he he's going to be our uh, guest preacher this evening, and uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, he's a little old bitty dude, uh, you know. He's he's a little guy about my size, you know. Uh, and uh, but uh, but you'll enjoy yourself. I hope you'll come out and be a part of that this evening. All right, let's get right into the word, or y'all gonna whoop me for getting burning your roast today? Because I've got a message from God that might take me just a little bit. If y'all just bear with me, okay? All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And while you're turning there, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to take a little bit of liberty on you, church, just because I can, because I have the platform, all right? Uh, I'm going to ask my lovely wife, if she will, to stand up for just a moment. You're a part of my sermon today, hon. I know, I know, I know you don't like it, but I have to mention the fact that as of yesterday, this sweet, lovely lady has put up with me 28 years. Now, and I, I say this behind her back, she don't like this, I'm telling y'all. She don't like it at all. She would prefer to be the quiet little church mouse that just sneaks around and nobody ever knows that she's in the room. But sometimes I have to pull her out and I have to do this simply because of the fact that between her and Jesus, they've made such a significant difference in my life. I promise you I would not be where I'm at today or doing anything remotely close to what I'm doing today 
were it not for Teresa. And that's a fact. And I just want everybody to know how much that I thank God for my wife that God placed in my life. And I asked y'all to pray for her because I'm taking her Thursday to a neurosurgeon. She's got back problems. And a good possibility they may have to do surgery on her. She's got disc trouble going on in her blow back. So I asked y'all to pray for her. That, uh, you know, if God will, when we get down there, the neurosurgeon's going to say, what are they talking about? There's nothing wrong here. But uh, if there has to be, then God lead us to the right person to do the surgery. Okay? So I asked y'all to pray. Today we're going to talk about my wife a little bit. We're going to talk about how to be a difference maker. Because deep inside all of us, there is a desire, I believe with all of my heart, there is a desire to know that our lives have counted for something. That we've made a difference in the world that we live in and in the lives of other people around us. This this was what Paul wanted for these Philippian Christians. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. He said, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Pause with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless the reading of the Word, okay? Father God, it's always with humility that I bow in Your presence. Lord God, I love You today and I thank You that You love me. God, I thank You for saving my soul and I thank You for calling me to preach and I thank You for the privilege that it is to be allowed to preach just one more time. I thank you for my wife that you've placed in my life. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my Christian family. And I pray, dear God, since you have brought us together, Lord, we know that we're not here by accident. There is a reason that you have brought each one of us here. We have a divine appointment with you today. So, Father, I pray that you would open the word to us and help us, God, to understand what it is that we are to grasp hold of by being here. Above everything else, Father, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified by everything that takes place. And God, don't let us be the same when we leave from here as we were when we came. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. In our text, Paul says that he wants to rejoice in the day of Christ that he has not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He wants to know that his efforts on these Philippian believers hasn't been wasted, that they had become difference makers in the world that they were living in. So in the first several verses of chapter 2 here, Paul focuses on what believers are supposed to be inside the body of Christ as they are interacting with one another. Due to time, I'm going to let you go back and read that if you want to. But, but now Paul begins to talk about what our impact should be on the world that we're living in. The question today is, and do you want to be a difference maker? 
Do you want to make a difference in the world that you're living in? If you don't want to, then I'm going to waste your time for the next 30 minutes. But if you really want to be a difference maker, if you really want, if it really burdens your heart that our country is being torn to shreds, if it really burdens your heart that people are lost without Christ and they're going to die and go to hell, if it really burdens your heart that homes and lives are hurting and they're being destroyed and hearts are being broken, if that really burdens your heart, then hold tight because we're going to find out today through the Word of God how to be a difference maker. First off, Consider the conduct of a difference maker. Just before our text in verse 13, Paul says that God works in the believer both to will, now that means giving him a desire, and to do God's good pleasure. In our text, Paul begins by saying, Do all things. Do all things. Do you understand that the Christian life is a life of doing? A lot of times we get things twisted around, don't we? And we start hollering at God, God, what you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me today? What are you going to do for me in worship, God? What are you going to do for me? How, how are you going to take care of this for me? We forget that God saved us. We owe everything to Him. We belong to Him. It is not for us to dictate to God what He's going to do. We need to be on our face every day before God saying, God, what would you have me to do? Paul says, do all things. So our life is a life of doing. It's not a life of sitting. It's a life of serving. We are to be doers of the Word. But folks, I want to tell you something. You can't be a doer of the Word if you don't know the Word. The Scripture that your pastor reads to you on Sunday morning is not enough for the week. A lot of Christian people don't get any more of the Word than that. Even the Scripture that your pastor reads to you on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night is not enough for the week. We need to be in the Word ourselves, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us every day. Amen? Listen, we are to be doers of the Word. And faith that doesn't result in some kind of service is dead, according to James, right? So we are to serve. But there is a way that we're supposed to serve God. There is a manner in which we are to conduct ourselves. He said, without murmurings and disputings. Uh-oh, I'm going to meddle now, ain't I? I'm going to dig all up in this because I know Baptist churches. I've been a part of a Baptist church since nine months before I was born. So I'm going to meddle all in this. I know how this goes, okay? The word murmuring means whispering or muttering and it speaks of private complaining and grumbling. One of the most unbecoming things a Christian can be is a chronic complainer. 
always finding fault, never contented, never happy. When I pastored, there were certain people within my congregations that were chronic complainers. Every so often on Sunday morning, I was tempted to say, brother or sister, would you please stand and lead us in a word of complaint and just get it over with? There was a monk who entered a monastery and he agreed to take a vow of silence. He could only speak two words every 10 years. After the first 10 years, he was brought before the leader of the monastery and he said, and he was given his opportunity to speak his two words and so he said, bed hard. 10 years later, he was brought before the leader again. Given his opportunity to say his two words, he said, food bad. Ten years later, he was brought before the leader again. He said, I quit. The leader said, well, it doesn't surprise me at all. All you've done for 30 years is complain. There are some Christians who never seem to speak unless it's a word of complaint either about their condition, someone else, or the church. Just constant griping. Now all of us have our complaints from time to time, but nobody should have a constant complaint in their heart. Complainers are seldom difference makers. Usually they're on the sideline criticizing those who are making a difference. Israel's greatest downfall was constant complaining. Did you know that? When you study the word, that's their greatest downfall. Constant complaining. We're tired of manna. We want meat. We're thirsty. God's brought us out here to die. Finally, one day, God sent fire from heaven and he consumed the complainers. When we constantly complain, do you know what we're really saying? We're saying, God, your provision is not good enough. God, your intentions are unjust. God, your grace is not sufficient. God, I don't trust you. If we're going to become difference makers, we can't be complainers and disputers. The world has seen enough of that recently, right? What do you think all this is that's going on between the races and everything else? It's one complaining side jumping on another complaining side instead of trying to find some kind of peace in the middle. It's just a bunch of, and and you get that within a church and before you know it, you're going to have the same type of clashes within the church that you're seeing on the streets of our cities. And if we get that mess going on among us, will never make a difference in a lost world. So, if we're going to be difference makers, we can't be complainers and disputers. Amen? So the next time you're thinking about jumping all over your pastor, I can say this now. It's pretty cool. I can take up for him. Because I have been jumped all over, okay? I've been eat up by the best of them. Next time you're thinking about jumping on your pastor, you think about whether it's going, whether you're going to be a difference maker or not through that. 
Next time you're thinking about jumping on one of your brothers or sisters, you think about whether you're going to be a difference maker or not. You think about what kind of impact it's going to have. Let's move on. Let's look at the character of a difference maker in verse 15. In recent years, society has asked the question, does character really matter? A large portion of our society has concluded that character is not that important as long as a person has the ability to do the job. Let's look at verse 15 and see what it says again. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. A lot of our society has decided that character is not important as long as they have the ability to do the job. But make no mistake, folks, to God, character is everything. If we're going to be a difference maker, we have to become people of character. Do you know what that means? It means your word's your bond, right? In a business deal, if I had a business deal with Steve, if I walked up as a Christian man and I took his hand and I shook his hand and told him this is the way it's going to be, then my Christian character better shine through and it better be that way. You see what I'm talking about? If we're going to be difference makers, we have to become people of character. Paul said that we need to be unblameable there. What does that mean? He's speaking of who we are before each other, before a lost world. I've heard people say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. This is me, I'm going to live my life. I don't really care what they think. Well, listen to me. If you're a Christian, you better care. Because the lost world is looking for something to discredit your testimony so that they can reject your Savior with a good conscience. Gandhi said, I don't refuse Christianity because of the Christian scriptures. I refuse Christianity because of Christians. Next, Paul says that we are to be harmless which means pure or unadulterated. It was a term used to describe wine that wasn't watered down or meddled without alloy. If unblameable speaks of who we are before men, then this speaks of who we are before God. Why do we need to be pure before God if we're going to be difference makers? Well, because if you're real, you'll last. The Bible says be sure your sins will find you out, right? We have to be on guard with our purity. We have to be on guard with who we are as a Christian man or a Christian woman simply because, folks, sooner or later our sins are going to come to light. Sooner or later they're going to come to the surface and those things can destroy our witness and our testimony and once our witness is destroyed, it's hard to gain that back and therefore it's hard to be a difference maker. So we have to keep ourselves pure before God. Amen? The next one is not a word you're going to see in the verse, but you're going to understand in a second. Paul says we're to be unmistakable. 
And the way, where I get unmistakable from is that he says that we are the sons of God or the children of God. We are to be unmistakable children of God. What is it that primarily identifies us as children of God? I'll, I'll tell you. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple if ye have love one to another. Love, 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 love. If we love one another, people won't have a problem saying they must be a Christian. See how they love one another. Next, Paul says that we are to be unblemished. And this ties all of this together. Of course, we're not going to be perfect until the day that he makes us perfect, right? But this is what we have to be striving for in his strength. Every day of our life, this is what we are supposed to be becoming is more and more like Jesus, and Jesus is perfection, right? He's perfection in every way, and so we are to be allowing God to sanctify us every day. We know that He sanctified us on the day that He saved us, amen? We received the ultimate sanctification on the day that the Lord Jesus reached down, drew us to Him, touched our heart, and saved our soul. But we also know that there is a daily sanctification process where God is making us more and more and more and more like Jesus each and every day of our life. Now, we know we're going to get the ultimate sanctification when He carries us to glory and we get, oh, what a day that will be. I love that song. When my Jesus I shall see. That's the day that He's going to make me like Him. I won't have to worry about all of this old sin baggage that I carry around in this mortal body because I will put on immortality and I will walk with my Savior and I will live with Him in perfection and I won't have to worry about all this stuff that I'm preaching about today because all of this stuff will be gone and we're just going to live in glory with God forever. But until that day, we have to be allowing God to make us just a little bit more like Jesus each day. Now, some days I do better than others. I don't know about y'all. Uh, it's kind of like that two steps forward, three steps back. You think you're doing a Texas two-step or something sometimes with your life, don't you? You move forward a couple of steps with Jesus and then all of a sudden you have a day and you crash backward about three steps. And then you take a couple of more steps up and then all of a sudden you crash backward about three. But we can't quit. We have to keep moving forward every day. All right, let me move forward. I ain't never going to get done. It's what we got to be becoming. Let's look at the context of a difference maker there in verse 15. Or in other words, where are we supposed to live this life? Inside the church, yes. At youth evangelism conferences, yes. At church socials, yes. But not just there. 
Paul tells us in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We're supposed to live this life right in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. Uh, Do we have a good opportunity to do that today? This country's gone crazy. And the reason it's gone crazy is because people have walked away from this. We've got people living in Hamilton, Alabama who don't even know who Jesus is. Would you have ever dreamed that it happened in the Bible Belt? We've got over 30,000 people who live in Marion County. Over half of them don't go to church anywhere. And, And it doesn't bother them to report it to the Census Bureau. They don't care. Pornography, nudity, There's no modesty left in the world. If you don't believe it, go hang out. We had a wonderful vacation last week. Took the kids down to the coast. But if you don't believe that there's no modesty left in the world, go to one of our public beaches. I don't fault the young folks. I fault me. We have failed to teach. And I didn't know I was going with this direction with this sermon, y'all. I promise I didn't. But, but if there was ever a crooked and perverse nation that we've lived in, it's now. It's now. Right is now wrong and wrong is right. But folks, here's the hallelujah moment of this. This is right where God wants us to reach these people for Christ. These are the people that God loves and that Jesus died for. So church, it's time that we realize why we're here. Worship is good, isn't it? It's wonderful. But that's not why we're here. It's great to come together and do all of these things. But that's not why we're here. We're here to be a light to a lost world. The Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? That's why I'm thankful that I'm a Southern Baptist. Here's my missions plug for you. Because of the cooperative program, because of the monies that you church give to the Marion County Baptist Association, that makes us a part of the Alabama Baptist State Convention. Being a part of the Alabama Baptist State Convention makes us a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Because of the monies that you give to the Marion County Baptist Association, we went on a mission trip to Sardis, Mississippi this year. And uh, we had 10 little old kids get saved in Vacation Bible School. Two construction projects completed and a youth revival that went all week in a different church. 
because of the monies that you give the Alabama Baptist State Convention, we, we're doing amazing things, planting churches, doing things all across the state. Because of the money that you give to the cooperative program, which goes on to the Southern Baptist Convention, we have uh, right at 4,000 missionaries around the world right now that we support as Southern Baptist churches. I think that's going into all the world, don't you? So uh, if you ever wonder the importance of being a Southern Baptist, you're fulfilling the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I can't go to China, but I can send somebody. I can send somebody. The Bible tells us go into all the world, and the greatest difference maker in the world was who? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? They said of him, Behold a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. So listen, if we're going to be difference makers, we have to be around and we have to befriend the lost, right? We just don't have to act like them, right? All right, let me, let me bring this to a close. Let's look at the contribution of a difference maker in verse 16. Verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul says, we are holding forth the word of life. Our lost friends are dead spiritually and the Bible says that they are headed for eternal destruction. Do you know what that means, eternal destruction? In eternity, there are two places and everybody's got an eternity, right? In eternity, there are two places. One of those is with God in heaven forever, amen? The other one is called hell. Now, a lot of people don't preach too hard or heavy on hell anymore, but I do because it, it's mentioned more times in the Bible than heaven is. Hell is real. And those people who have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, if they die and leave this world, they are going to go to an awful place called hell where the Bible says the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. They're going to spend an eternity of suffering in an awful place. People say, well, how can a loving God do that? Well, God didn't do it. God provided the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved from this awful place called hell. But if you choose not to accept Christ, then you have chosen an eternity in hell. God didn't do it. If you choose to re reject the salvation of Christ, you did it. You chose it. Our lost friends are dead spiritually and the Bible says they're headed for eternal destruction. We have the word of life. We have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we are holding it out like a lifeline. I want to tell you something. We're on a fishing excursion out in the Gulf. Your young son is on there with me. He falls overboard. He can't swim very well. I'm holding the life preserver in my hands. It's got the lifeline attached to it. 
All I have to do is throw it out to him and tell him, grab hold, son, I'll pull you in. But I stand there with the life preserver thinking, well, maybe he's strong enough to swim. Maybe he can make it. He might. And while I'm debating all of this in my mind, your young son goes under the waves. Never to be seen again. How would you feel toward me when we got back to shore? I just stood there and watched your son drown in the Gulf of Mexico and did absolutely nothing to stop it from happening. How would you feel toward me? I don't know about y'all, but uh, you might not survive coming off the boat yourself if it was my boy. This is the life preserver. We've got the lifeline. There's a lot of sons and daughters out there that's sinking in a sea of sin and lostness. And a lot of them are sinking because they don't know. They just don't know. Are you going to throw out the life preserver? Or are you going to keep it to yourself? I won't throw it out. I don't want to see folks spend an eternity in hell, Steve. I want us to get past petty junk. And just be the church. I want us to care whether or not all of them find what God wants them to do. And spend the rest of their life doing it. I really do. I want the church to make a difference. Do y'all? Well... It's up to us to make that decision, isn't it? So during the invitation, I wanna, I'm going to ask musicians to come. And during the invitation, maybe today it's time for a fresh commitment between you and God. Not to me. I'm not your priest. He is. I'm just the messenger. Maybe it's time for a fresh commitment between you and God to say, God, this world's gone crazy. Satan's attacking every way that he can. He's attacking people's health. He's attacking homes. He's attacking in everything that he can. God, I want to be a difference maker in a crazy world. If you need to do that today, I know you can do it in your seat where you're at. I understand that. But I always found this to be a very special place right here. doesn't belong to the church or your pastor or anybody else. It belongs to God. And it's between you and him if you want to kneel in this altar and just talk to God. But listen to me. Before we go into this invitation, I want you to understand something. 
Hell is real. For those of you who are lost, hell is real. But heaven is even more real. And God stands with outstretched arms and just says, Won't you let me save you? Won't you accept my precious son? Won't you let him do for you what he did for old Keith? Hadn't always been perfect, but I've always been loved by my God. And I want you to know that if he can love an old filthy sinner like me, that don't deserve anything he's ever done for me, I want you to know that he can love you even more if you'll let him. So don't leave from here lost today, okay? There's no reason to. Let God make a difference in your life. And if you will, you'll be amazed. We're going to stand together. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. And I'm going to invite you to come if you need to this morning.